and welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. It is mid-January. Is the Yankees roster done? I think we have a few more moves to go. Arbitration, rumors, and who plays the most at each position? Hello and welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. My name is Liam. I'm joined once again by Jake. How's it going, man? Not too shabby. Um, have some shoulder stuff going on, you know, getting the nice uh, Frankie Montas treatment from my, my doctors right now. So that's always fun. But, uh, you know, right back on it after that nice long holiday season. So we had mentioned uh, off air that you think you were injured late April, early May. Um, though, given that we knew about Montas's injury at the deadline, uh, who do you think got injured first, you or Frankie Montas? Um, I'll tell you that he got paid first because I do not get paid. <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly, I think that uh, whew, he probably has been hurt since what May, June, something along those lines. We knew about the injury in July. Um, honestly, me because April, like I can guarantee that I was hurt by April 29th, that's when it happened. <laughs> That's what you get for coming straight off a plane and then catching a game with zero warm-up. I hope you were injured first because uh, you don't have the organization that we root for paying you uh, millions of dollars uh, about this injury that you did nothing about until now. But I'm glad that you're getting it checked out. Uh, We'll see if you can play any of the field coming up soon. Uh, Speaking of uh, being paid and paying, uh, Chris is looking for those league dues. So if you haven't gotten them to him yet already... Uh, I think I'm a little bit behind. I got to figure that out. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. I got the uniform fee in. So, so we're cooking there, but um, that's the only important part. Let's be real. Yeah. Coming so from this isn't the, uh, what's that? Coming from someone who's on management. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you should be responsible. I have an excuse. Yeah. Um, but enough of the Canes pulse. Uh, that's our, that's our <laughs> baseball team, the Hudson hurricanes. Um, we're getting into some Yankees talk. So it's been, a little quiet in Yankees land, and I think a lot of that is around um, where the market is at for baseball and where the rosters are shaping up. You know, right now the Yankees are at 40 on their 40-man roster. So in theory, the team is full. Uh, we think there's a few possible upgrades, but, you know, it is plausible that the Yankees go in with the team that they have right now. Um, but we're going to talk through some of those options, where those upgrades might be. Um, and we gave a bit of a preview. I think first off the jump, um is the Frankie Montas injury who was our number five starter and it felt really good for about a month after we signed Rodon right looking at all those graphics seeing Luis Severino as your four and Frankie Montas as your five I think was really nice for Yankees fans to share on Twitter and the Instagram stories to kind of rub in the face of how elite this pitching rotation can be um but the reality is it seems like Montas is going to be out for at least a month that's what we're told um, since the trade deadline, he obviously was a little bit hurt and he didn't perform well when he was healthy. And, you know, what came first, chicken or the egg kind of situation. I- I'm going to think that Montas was dealing with an injury, which led to some of his ailments. And, you know, with pitching something that's so repeatable that relies on mechanics, just being off a little bit can contribute to that. But now it's looking like, you know, we traded for Montas in early August. It's looking like we're not going to have Frankie Montas for about a year after that trade. Um, and what does that value mean? And what does the 
back end of our rotation look like now? Uh, what are your initial thoughts about the Frankie Montas injury? First of all, I do feel for the dude because like going through shoulder stuff is not fun. Um, you just like you feel restricted in terms of your mobility and your ability to cock your arm back and actually throw. So I wouldn't see it as like a, a possibility that like I'm sure that he's been injured for a while and he just never seemed like the second that he got to New York City, he was coming from what a funeral, right? So like there was already that weighing on his mind. It just never seemed like he found his footing in terms of talking to the media. Um, he just looked very uncomfortable from the get-go. And people said, you know, like, oh, no, another um, another Sonny Gray situation, especially having that Oakland A's tie. And, I mean, you can't, can't write people off for having that feeling at this point uh, just because I feel like the Yankees should have done a little more due diligence when it came to this injury. Shoulders are very complex. Um a lot of different things can be going wrong with them. And it sounds like at best he's got some tendonitis, which is shoulder inflammation. At worst, it could be a ligament injury. So if that's the case, we're pretty much, we traded for a pitcher who's not going to be able to do anything for us because he's only there for one more year. Um, and then he's gone and we traded away our, let's be real, our best uh, pitching assets for him. Ken Waldachuk is probably going to be at least a three or four if Ken Waldachuk might be their best pitcher, one or a two at this point, which is uh, saying more about Oakland than it is about us. But Ken Waldachuk debuting recently in baseball, being a two or three on a, on an MLB team, like we can't take away from the fact that Ken Waldachuk is a really high level prospect, and how well JP Sears performed for us throughout the year. Like he was a prospect that proved it at the major league level in a small sample size, and has continued to be really good for them for Oakland. He gave up very few runs from what I remember with the Yankees too. So like, this is like, they've got their one and two for Oakland right now, like perfectly set up. And even Luis Medina is a guy that like we forget about all the time, but he was really good as well. So it makes it a lot harder to pull the trigger on a Brian Reynolds trade, for example, when things like that happen. But also at the same time, you can't really get mad at the Yankees for making that trade because you know, it also doesn't happen if that trade is made, you don't trade Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader. And I think at this point, we all agree that that was a great move to make um, because Bader was our main contributor and our sole contributor, essentially, throughout the playoffs, other than maybe Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, it's an unfortunate situation across the board. I don't fault the Yankees for making that trade because I think if you look at the the high-level potential of Frankie Montas in even last year's postseason, you know, we signed Rodon now, who's going to be our second ace. But if Frankie Montas does what he's proven he's able to do on a pretty consistent level over a large sample the last three few years with Oakland. Now, him performing in the playoffs could have changed the tides of where we were at, you know, um, just dominant. And and Seve and Nestor pitched really, really well in the postseason. So it's ultimately we didn't hit and we got outclassed by Houston. Um, but I think it changes the tenor of the rest of the season, if we don't have five plus outings where Montas gives up six to eight runs within the first three innings, I, I think it changes the momentum of the team. Like that was a real fall from grace in August where the team had to rebuild themselves. I think the team could have benefited from cruising maybe to 105 wins, you know, probably still the number two seed, but a bit more comfortable. The judge home run race maybe gets covered up a little bit earlier. Um, even though he was tearing it up while the team was losing. Uh, so it's really unfortunate. And I think we can only project, but 
if the Yank if the Yankees looked at this injury and they saw it before they traded for Montas, now looking at the opportunity cost of not having Ken Waldachuk and JP Sears, not that we're improving the Oakland A's right now, we're not concerned about them, but losing them as assets, if not as a value to this team, when the Pirates are looking for a massive haul for Brian Reynolds, which is our glaring hole, and they're and we're we have plenty of infield and outfield prospects that are top level in all MLB circles, but the rumor is that they're looking for pitching. Um, and we might get B for Brian Reynolds or just not be able to get him because our top two pitching prospects went for an injured number five that we might not even see until the all-star break, if at all this year. Yeah. And um, honestly, I'm under the assumption right now that the pirates haven't been offered a package centered around one of our top uh, prospects yet. And I think the reality is that if we did have those guys from the Monsos trade still here, like he would have been, Reynolds and Bendar would have been a Yankee by now. I think it's just at that point where like we had so much leverage to make that move. And now we're just kind of sitting and waiting to see if they end up kind of pushing back on their previous like King's ransom ask, which was no one's going to give him what or give the pirates what they want right now. Um, they undervalue Reynolds to the point where they don't see him like in terms of dollar value as a superstar. When in reality, he his camp wants, I think it was like five years, 120 million or six, 120, something along those lines. So kind of similar ilk as, um, you know, your your Brandon Nimmo's. And if you're trying to compare like a current player that just hit the free agent market, obviously he's got more service time um, under his belt. And then Reynolds has three more years, I think, of arbitration at this point. So that's kind of what you're paying for with prospect um, capital at this point, if you're another another team. Um, but it's just a tough situation. Cause I think the Yankees are, that's their, like their, the prize jewel right now. That's the guy that they would ultimately like to move for because he's the one who rounds out that lineup so well, but at the same time, they're not going to sit around and wait forever. And I do think eventually the, the dollars or the, uh, the ask from the pirates does drop. I think that happens closer to the all-star break just because something's got to give, he doesn't want to be there. Um, and I don't think he ultimately fits with their timeline of guys like a Brian Hayes and then also O'Neill Cruz, like those guys really coming into their own. So I think he will be moved at some point, but I don't think the Yankees are just going to just sit on their ass and like do nothing and just roll out Hicks again. That's not, that's not uh, viable at this point. And I'm pretty sure that Cashman is feeling the pressure of like heads will roll if Hicks goes out there again to start. So at minimum, I see a move of a Jerickson Profar or someone along those lines to be a stopgap. Yeah, and we'll get into more of the left field as we have for the last few episodes now. Um, but going to the pitching rotation, so we looked at those graphics, like I was saying before, Frankie Montas, high-level number five starter, looking at, I think, the deepest rotation or one of the deepest rotations in baseball. And looking at, all right, you know, Domingo Herman, Clark Schmidt, Luis Heal as our six through eight options. That's not too bad. Now, with this one move of Montas being hurt indefinitely, I'm going to say he's back no earlier than May 7th. I think it's going to be more like late June, July. Yeah, as um, close as the all-star break for sure. Yeah, and with the opportunity for relapse and whatnot, like with – with what Montas showed injured down the stretch last year, I think the Yankees are going to be ultra conservative with his injury. 
where they're not going to push him back because, you know, if he's not 100% healthy, I don't think he's worth it. I don't think he's a better pitcher than Domingo Herman, how he performed last year. He's definitely a better pitcher than Domingo Herman, but I'm going to assume talent wise. Yeah. I'm going to assume that he was hurt and I don't want him throwing innings for us if he's not 100% healthy. Like I'd rather him just rehab. And if that means he pitches for six weeks before the playoffs, like, so be it. But I think we're not going to see him for a long time. He won't be built up. What do you think our rotation looks like now after number four? And that's the thing is like, you feel really confident with those first four. And then after that, it's, I feel like they really want to give Clark Schmidt the nod just because he is their homegrown guy that they've been high on for a while. And he was one of the few top prospects that's still around to this point. And um, like, you kind of, you wish you could say that you can see a Davey Garcia coming in, but at this point he's not reliable anymore. You know, he got his shot in 2020 was excellent. And then after that, he lost it. Um, and it does sound like he spiked his below a little bit, but it sounds like if he does come back, he might be more of a, like a relief option. Um, so I just don't think that's viable as well. Um, there are a few guys in the system. I think Johnny Brito is one of the, uh, relievers that's in AAA right now, who is supposed to be ready for 2023. So I think him and then Crook are two guys that could potentially make an impact this season from what I've been hearing about other people that are big on the Yankees prospects um Rito specifically I think is one internally that could be an option however I think that <laughs> as weird as it to say like I think that a, a Michael Waka might be someone who's um who's not out of the realm of possibility at this point depending on what his ask is he was pretty good for the Red Sox last season he was pretty good um I don't I'd be so interested to see if the Yankees go the trader free agent route I think yeah. the one thing that's going to keep them from doing it, I think if Montas was confirmed out for two to three months, they'd be likelier to do it. But if you go internal with some of the guys, I mean, reading off some of the names that are on the 40-man starting yeah. pitchers, uh, Randy Vasquez, Andrew Gomez, Matt Crook, Devi, uh, Luis Heel, I believe, is not on here because he's still injured, that but he's, he's, he's on the 40, um, as well as Johnny Brito. I mm-hmm. think... Depending on what the injury looks like, I mean, I'm sure they'll know more, you know, in a month as pitchers and catchers, they'll know more about the talent they have for like the two, three weeks that some of those younger guys are up um, and they'll know more about his injury to make those decisions then. That's not a right now decision, Um, but I think they'd be more likely to stay internal unless they straight up sold on him and went the trade route. I don't think there's anyone on the free agent route. I mean, Waka is a good shout, honestly. But I don't Walker, think there's anyone yeah. free agent wise that they think is worth losing that flexibility potentially. What do you think? Yeah, I think that they don't want to take a hit payroll wise too. So like obviously if you go with the free agent route, you're giving up money. Whereas if you go trade, you're giving up prospects or current players on the team. And there is one guy that we'll get to in a little bit um, after arbitration or like the current arbitration situation that might be now on the trade block, depending on how that goes. Um, but I think that there are personally better arms on the trade market, but they would have to get very creative with it. Um, that's just one of those, move, those times where Cashman could come out of nowhere with like a big random move. Like, let's say he gets someone from the Chicago White Sox, you know, like there are a few different teams that are fringe that aren't quite playoff teams that could be looking to sell, um, that we're not really thinking about at this point. But obviously, like if you're thinking about the trade route, Miami is the first team that really kind of hits you just because they have such a surplus of arms at this point with the Johnny Cueto acquisition. 
Um, I think they've got four guys essentially that they're shopping around. Obviously, the only one that's not available right now is Alcantara because he's disgusting and there's no reason to trade him. The second uh, Kim Ang trades him, that's when all hell like boils over. Sandy uh, for Cole, straight up. <laughs> straight up. <laughs> not even. I, they wouldn't take the Miami wouldn't take that deal. Cole gets paid yeah. too much money. Would you take that? No. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's, it's a tough I think that's that's a, a lose lose trade, honestly. Dude, I, I love Sandy. 22 innings or whatever last season. That's crazy. Cole eats that that's it's a really underrated aspect of Cole. Yeah. Sandy didn't even throw like well I this I almost said Sandy season. didn't throw that much. Sandy threw a lot last year, which was part of his value that they let him rip, but that was the first time, like you said. Yeah, and, no, I saw people like talking shit about Cole on Twitter. Um, and it was mainly just, I think it was a few like Red Sox fans and then Houston fans, um, comparing like Christian Javier. And I'm like, look at Javier's innings compared to Cole's innings in the last 10 years, every season. I think he's had maybe four or five seasons over 200 innings at this point in his career. Like no one does that nowadays. So the amount of value you get from a starting pitcher, like, I think it's the easiest way to break it down is like through innings pitched. Uh, strikeouts, and then maybe ERA if you want to throw that in there as like the big three. And Cole does all three of those things at an elite level. So anyone that has anything to say about him not being like a true ace for that reason, just like you got to reevaluate what you're looking at. Um, but when it comes to Miami, though, they do have a few guys. Like obviously we've loved uh, Pablo Lopez, Justin, J. Ray, like really does love him as well. Um, and the compelling thing about him is like, I was listening to just baseball. We talked about this off of the air, but those guys were breaking down how like, he's not even the most compelling arm because you're, you know what you're getting out of him. He's the safe option and he only has a few more years of control. Whereas like guys like Trevor Rogers. And then um, I think it was Edward Cabrera all like have devastating stuff. And they have like, I think four or five years of control left. And it's just like, you don't know, you've got a lot of upside, but you don't really know what that downside is going to look like because of potential injury and then also just they're not proven as much. So like there are some really interesting arms that can be thrown in there and the Yankees do have a surplus of middle infielders. And that's one thing that Miami's kind of been lacking throughout the years. And, so um, to, yeah. um, to get into that a bit more, we'll do some housekeeping and then get into the player that you've been teasing. <laughs> um, so the Yankees settled with eight out of their nine um, arbitration eligible players. Um, they had previously come to terms with IKF strangely, uh, right after the season ended one year for $6 million, uh, the Yankees were like, yep, we want IKF back. Um, but however, some of the other mainstays, they left go until um, the arbitration deadline this past week. So they settled with eight out of the nine eligible players. That included uh, Michael King uh, for $1.3 million. All of these are one-year deals to avoid arbitration. And for anyone who doesn't know, um, the arbitration process is where Basically, the player and their agency uh, presents a value that they think they're worth, and then the team presents a value that they think that player is worth, and then a private arbiter, like a, a judge-type scenario, they literally go to court, determines which of those two numbers best fits the player statistically relative to the market. So um, that's a court process that you don't really want to go through with your players. Um, so the Yankees settled most of these deals to avoid that arbitration process. And if you remember, uh, Aaron Judge almost went through it in June before the Yankees settled, uh, days before the deadline. That was pushed back into the season because of the um, because of the lockout. But Michael King uh, for 
Johnny Loiska for 2.3, Wandy Peralta 3.3, Nestor Cortez signed a 3.3 million, and he came out on Twitter uh, and he said some really nice things. Um, Nestor Cortez has been a really good starting pitcher for the last three years, getting paid about 500000 450000 whatever the major league minimum is. Um, so he got a big payday, and, and uh, I appreciate how much he appreciated. You know, that's yeah. life-altering money, even though it's relatively low when we talk about these professional players. I would take $3.2 I'm sure you would also, Jake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you also have to take into, <laughs> obviously, with uh, my pre 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 arb situation going on here, um, going into <laughs> potentially surgery, that would be pretty nice right now. Uh, <laughs> but like on top of that, you've got New York State taxes, and then I believe you play uh, pay tax in every state that you've played in throughout the season. Yep. So there's a lot that goes into it, and the fact that he's making, I think the league minimum right now is seven seventy. Yeah. So seven hundred seventy thousand after um, the new CBA. Yep. Um, that's a huge step up for him, and he deserved every penny. Yeah, and same with guys: Clay Holmes, three point three, Trevino, two point four, Higgy, one point four, uh, Montas got seven point five, Herman. Um, but the one person they didn't settle with, uh, was Glaber Torres. And right now, the Yankees and Glaber Torres are a little bit split. Uh, the Yankees think Glaber is worth nine point seven. These are the reports. Um, and. Glaber's camp thinks he's worth 10.2. I imagine uh, maybe they'll eventually settle before the court date. Um, but they're they've decided to go through the arbitration process. And I think that's interesting because uh one of the reasons I thought that the Yankees settled with IKF is to make uh his trade value more certain. Um yeah. teams generally wouldn't want to take on a player that they have to go to court with immediately. Um, and that would be the case for any team taking on Glaber unless the Yankees look to shop him until after that arbitration court date. Um, but Glaber is that player you were alluding to from our position of surplus to the Marlins position of need. I mean, right now uh, the Marlins roster resource, they have Gene Segura at third um, after trading Miguel Rojas to LA. They have Jazz Chisholm at second and Joey Wendell as their shortstop. Um, Glaber Torres would move Chisholm to short, which is where he came up. Um, and then Glaber would probably play second because he's a better fielder than Gene Segura. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what do you think of a Glaber Torres deal like for Pablo Lopez, uh, like for anyone on that Marlin staff, like we have previewed in November? I think they should have pulled the trigger on it personally back in uh, July, like because it seems like they had the framework for uh, 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 deal in place i think it had to include peraza though which is why the yankees didn't want to move on it um but it feels imminent that the infield this year is going to at some point include Volpe at second base and peraza at short like that just it the writing is on the wall at this point they're calling they're labeling um Volpe mr yankee at this at this rate um and they clearly love peraza because they did give him playoff run he eventually did uh, replace IKF, but it was too late at that point. But he, every time that Peraza was on the field, he dazzled. Um, I, it's clear as day that they're going to be running out of spaces for infielders. And with Donaldson having such a tough contract to move, I think they're still trying to move it. Don't get me wrong. But obviously, Labor is the one that has the most value out of anyone at this point that is majorly proven. He's going to give at you at least, what, a 115 WRC plus, something along those lines. He's at least 15%, 20% better than the average player. 
Um, but he has his ups and his downs, and I think that New York City sometimes gets to be too much for him. So this could be a good opportunity for him to go to a bit of a smaller, more laid-back market. Um, I think he's a perfect match for the Marlins. If we're being like just in terms of an organizational fit, I think he'll feel a little bit less pressure and play a little bit more loose than he does in New York City. Um, I think it's an outstanding fit. And I think that there are plenty of pieces that could go back and forth on return for. And especially like, do you fully trust Jazz Chisholm being your main like player in the like positionally speaking for the Marlins right now? He's not played a full season yet. He has supreme talent potentially. Or Joey Wendell as your lockdown shortstop after Miguel Rojas, who has been a an elite defender there for the past five plus years. Yeah, so you're losing that big staple that you had, and like I think Glaber, even though he is what 26, 25 years old at this point, he's accumulated enough experience to be a veteran presence for guys like Jazz Chisholm to look up to. So I think that he provides more value overall for the Marlins than the Yankees. So. I really hope that the Yankees see it the same way. And I think they do because like that they were hesitant to pull the trigger on a $10 million deal. So there clearly is something that's holding them back from just committing to him. Yeah. And I generally agree with you. So I'm going to bring up a counterpoint from outside so that we can have some interesting discourse here. Um, <laughs> someone that we listen to a bunch is prominent in Yankees land is obviously John boy um, from talking Yanks podcast and talking baseball. So recently there have been uh Glaber rumors have been big on Twitter, I think, for valid reasons, like what we just outlined. Um, another part of that is that Glaber is going to get in the area of $10 million, which right now, by most projections, would put the Yankees at around $271, $272 million, um, including the uh, the major league minimums from the rest of the 40-man guys who are like on high options, you know, like uh, – Floreal, uh, Oswaldo, Peraza, Volpe, whoever that may be. Um, yeah. So that puts the Yankees dangerously close to that 273 threshold, which is that second level tax threshold. Now, um, where John Boy comes from, he disagrees that we should trade Glaber. He thinks that we should keep Glaber at all costs. And what his view is, DJ's injury uncertainty, which is really valid. Um, apparently, all signs are pointing good. He didn't need surgery. So he'll be ready for the year. But we saw how DJ being down really impacted this team. So if we didn't have Glaber last year, who plays second? My answer to that is I'm ready for Anthony Volpe. But it's also that's a new level prospect, you know, in a team that's in win now mode. Glaber is proven to be like a 700, 750 OPS level guy, even though there are ups and downs that go from 900 to 550 in between there. Um, so Glaber kind of holds it down with the uncertainty of, of DJ's injury. Um, yeah. And also John Boyd, uh, which is a valid point. He doesn't like to think about the money being a big issue. Um, he kind of just wishes that the, the, the Steinbrenners who have billions and billions of dollars would be fine going a little bit over that second tax threshold when Steve Cohen is paying 350 yeah. plus million. Um, so I see where he's coming from there. So like in my headspace, I think, uh, Glaber is our most valuable uh, asset um, in terms of someone who's in a position of surplus, who's major league proven, uh, who's young and has a lot of upside for a young team like Miami. So that's where I see he fits. But I understand the point um, of, of DJ and not wanting to part ways with Glaber. Yeah. And also one thing about Glaber that is a huge plus, and this also ties into that 
previous point as well is that he stays healthy and yeah. that's one of the biggest things you can ask for from a player nowadays like he'll he can give you 150 games easy um which, which is you cannot very, take for granted yeah it's we give a labor lot of, a lot of slack but that, that's huge that that's one yeah. of the most valuable parts of a player that's why robbie cano was so important for us back in the early to late 2000s you know um, 161 so. games every year Exactly. That's such a satisfying number to see on the back of a baseball card or a baseball <laughs> reference too. Like, oh, this, this is so satisfying. He always got off one of the last series. I distinctly yeah. remember from like 08 to like 2012, basically, Robbie Cano played like 158 to like 161 games. Never 162, I think. Maybe he got one of them in there. Matsui had the 163-game season. I was like, you're a psycho, dude. He He's like... In the modern game, he would never. He'd be playing 135. Yeah. Maybe 150 with DHing. Easy. That's so funny. Here we go. Uh oh my god, it went back even farther. 2007, 160. 08, 159. 09, 161 led the league. Uh 10, 160, 11, 159, 12, 161, 13, 160. 14, 157 with Seattle. I love it. And then the steroids hit. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, it's like when you, I don't know, when you can see that a player puts that much into being on the field, it's definitely a huge asset. Um. So I'm sure that's another reason the Yankees are kind of trigger shy at this point to pull something right now. Although I think the fact that Montas, so what scared me the most about the Montas news is that apparently he's six to eight weeks behind schedule which is a significant amount of time if you think about how long he's been shut down for. So that gives me no hope that he's going to be back at this point. And um, that's two months into pitchers and catchers. Like pitchers and catchers report two weeks early yeah. just so they can throw, and then the rest of the team comes because then they get into their work. So yeah. if Montas is realistically going to be starting his spring training program as the Yankees are starting opening day, he's going to be about two months plus behind. Yeah. So I feel like they're really feeling the pressure right now to make something happen. And I I'm sure that they would be okay with going in with my, um, with Mingo and with Clark kind of platooning each other. But at the same time, like you, if you can get a proven starter um, who could be a fresh take for the organization, especially someone who would be a new arm that hasn't pitched too much in the AL East just to give a different look. I think that's worth the shot. Those Miami pitchers are way too compelling for me to just like pass up on. So who would be your pitcher of choice? Cause we got two lefties. There's Lazardo, there's Trevor Rogers. Um, and then on the board, I would say Edward Cabrera and Pablo Lopez. Um, I don't know how they feel about Braxton Garrett. Who's listed as their number six. Um, I know. Garrett's also supposed to be pretty talented too. Um, I think that I would have, we have two lefties already that I love in this rotation. And as I am a lefty, as much as I love lefties, I don't think we need another one right now. Although like I wouldn't be mad about it, but um, I think Pablo gives you that stability. That's very important right now. And that's what you're like the lack or the uncertainty is what scares Yankees fans and the Yankees the most at this moment. I think Pablo gives you 180 innings easy. Um, so that's the guy that I think he would also cost the least because he's the least amount of control. So he's a pretty easy no brainer for me. Although I would be very happy to see someone like a, an Edward Cabrera just because the upside is so high, but also are you looking, I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, are you looking at Pablo Lopez's baseball reference right now? 
I am not. Okay. Gonna... How many innings? No, don't look it up. How many okay. innings do you think he threw last year? 185. You said 180. He threw 180.0 innings last year. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good pull that was i, I that just caught me by surprise because i just opened it up and then you said 180 well and like just think about it that way is like how many did uh tyone give us like 170 last season something yep. like that maybe like this is a step up from that and he's a, a like i love jmo but he's a better pitcher than that as well yep. and he's young he's 26 27 years old so he has upside and like it, get him with matt blake this dude can really kind of skyrocket i mean Brandon Marlins, all credit to them. They've got an outstanding pitching staff. And the way that they run their pitching development is probably better than most teams. But Matt Blake working with him on spin rate and things along those lines, like that, he can really benefit being around guys like Garrett Cole and then Carlos Rodon. And also Nestor Cortez, because he's kind of got a little bit of everything. He is a finesse guy, but he can have some, he has some power in there, that arm as well. So I think that he is a really nice blend of what the Yankees are working with at the moment. On Tuesday, April 4th, I am going to see Yankees versus Phillies. That is their fifth game of the season. Who throws the first pitch of that game in pinstripes? I'm going to dream big and say Pablo. Pablo Lopez? Our yeah. friend, Pablo Lopez? Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, Pablo Lopez. He doesn't know it yet. <laughs> um, we got to get it. If he, if he becomes a Yankee, we actually have to FaceTime him. Oh, my um, God. Shout Jay out to Ray Jay Ray for that connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Well, is is Lopez going to be on the WBC team? Probably. I if think Team Venezuela is going full. I'm pretty uh, sure he is. Yeah. Is he is he Puerto Rican and Venezuelan or just Venezuelan? <laughs> what what was Jay Ray's connection to him? I for, wasn't it a family con- connection or something along those yeah. lines. And Jay Ray is Puerto Rican. Yeah, and they were I think his family was in Puerto Rico. But yeah. Lopez, he's Lopez is listed as being born in Venezuela, um, so awesome. I imagine he probably represent Venezuela too. Yeah, is, interesting. Is Glaber playing for Venezuela? I think so. It's been hard to. I, I've been trying to find rosters and do like a yeah. bit of a WBC preview. Really, the U.S. and that's because like we're in the U.S. obviously, but like the USA team is the only one where I can find really clear marketing for like. They put out the graphics of like who's in like their lineups and everything. Um, whereas for a lot of the other ones, uh, like DR, even Japan, um, like there wasn't an official announcement for Shohei that we saw. Shohei was like, "Oh, I'll play," and then next week it was him in a Japan jersey, which yeah, uh, Japan would be foolish to not have the best baseball player in the world on their team. So I'm glad that <laughs> Shohei is going to be at the WBC. That's a wise move for marketing, I'd say. Um. <laughs> did you see the the picture of the dr lineup no it's looking disgusting i, I think it was like committed lineup too yeah well they didn't have like they didn't make like form like a one through nine but like they had mm. catcher first base i know yeah. like gary was at catcher um he's their worst player yeah because machado's at like 3b yeah. um i think was it tatis at short it was, it was crazy like the way tatis that they had- is ineligible i think they would have wander franco probably it was one of the high end shortstops. Um, and then J Ram at second. Yeah. Vlad Guerrero at at first probably. Yeah. Damn, I wish Vladdy played for Canada. I know he's not like culturally aligned with Canada. He was just born in Montreal because yeah. senior played for the Expos, but uh, that would be fun. Like Vladdy and Freddie Freeman out of nowhere on Team Canada. 
It's the same picture. Yeah. That would be Vince, a good one. What Soto? In yeah, the Soto. And, Starling and, Marte. Yeah. And J Rod is J Rod Dominican? Yeah. No. She, yeah. J Rod's playing center. Jesus. <laughs> That's a good team. Gary's I don't think you can name me nine Americans that beat that team. Like, I, obviously, it's baseball. Yeah. But also, good luck to Adovino. He'll be out there playing for Team USA. And then so will uh, Alex Katz for Team Israel. So we got to get them on before before they go. I'm really interested in how that's going to play out. What they're Let's drop them next week. I'll talk to them, see if we can get something going. Especially Team Israel. Are, are they in the Japan Korea region for the group stage? I haven't looked at any of the group settings at all or yeah. like i need to really look through the brackets just because uh i always forget to do that when it approaches just because you get so wrapped up with like free agent stuff and you get wrapped up with the post like the off season and then japan so throws off the time fun. zones so like yeah. it's an mlb network game at like six in the morning oh great it's and like, it's like netherlands world. versus i don't know like italy or it's like netherlands bit- israel is honestly a game that's like a 5 a.m start on mlb network it's literally World Cup all over again, except for baseball. I'm all in. All in. <laughs> World tournaments, dude, uh, that I'm huge for. I was upset that I didn't know Pablo Lopez, his nationality, right off the bat. Because with soccer, I know that for every single player. Slacking. Um, I know. Well, because baseball, they just don't they don't play internationally consistently. Whereas yeah, for soccer, cool. it's like at an international level, like I know where every player plays. Like, give me any player that you can name i w- i would tell you and that part of that is like fifa you know oh this um, is one other thing that we can talk about real quick is expansion teams oh yeah completely forgot about that until now i saw a, a tidbit of rosenthal's article that just came out talking about i think the vegas expansion is going to happen but apparently they're waiting to see if oakland renews with with the A's, which I think is unlikely at this point. As cool yeah, I, as that stadium mock-up has looked, I don't think they're going to go through with the county. No, they might as well just make the move to Vegas now. And I think that two fresh cities for two fresh teams would be the best call. I think Nashville is a given. It's it, when you have Mattingly backing you, like that's going to happen. Um, and then like to me, the the next two cities that were most compelling, just because I got a slight bias to one of them is like New Orleans, I think would so, be like so much fun um especially like after like they're finally like getting back into the swing of things after you know the hurricanes and all that stuff um it's just also a great city to visit so i think that like baseball there would be revitalized and then portland would be a lot of fun too so like i think one of two of those three gets the nod so um i know vegas is fun and good for money and stuff part of me is like it's so hot in the summer in vegas and I don't think that the Vegas going crowd is necessarily like the baseball loving crowd. Like I think baseball people are going to like, they would go to New Orleans. They would go to Nashville to even like Louisville. Um, I don't think Vegas gives as much upside as they're thinking. I know it's going to be money and a good market and stuff. Um, but part of me feels like New Orleans and Nashville are great options because I think that opens up the door to an MLB team in puerto rico or the dr if you have like a southeast division yeah because once you get like think of like the al west right now between houston to seattle and and stuff if you can get a division that's new orleans atlanta tampa miami and like san jose 
yeah. for Santo Domingo. Like, you can even get Mexico. Yeah. Like right on the like literally that shares a border with Texas. Mexico in the so, southwest. Have yeah. you seen that um the stadium they're building for the World Cup? I forget if it's in Guadalajara or Tijuana. Um, and it opens up on one side and you just see like the mountain range. It's the most beautiful thing. I have wow. to show you the mock-up for it. That's epic. Um, I'm sure Matt's but, like seen some pictures of it too, since his yeah. family's from there. Yeah, I think Mexico City is pretty deep for a team. That 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 would be a far divisional trip. But like yeah. Tijuana, Guadalajara, even Baja California, like we know how pro- like San Diego does really well supporting the team down there. Yeah, um, I think they would go pretty crazy for it. Dude, the atmosphere would be insane. Yeah. So I, I love it. I love expansion, especially with a balanced schedule. I mean, like, you know, we grew up with the same divisions with very similar playoff formats. Like, it's going to be a bit of an adjustment, but you know, uh. We'll get over it. Um, I'm not gonna miss the division rivalry with the Tampa Bay Rays if we don't play them as much anymore. Oh no, um, we don't have to play the Orioles 32 times in a season. Yeah. Or I don't know, maybe not the Tampa Bay Rays. They become like the New Orleans uh, Soul or something. Or, <laughs> <laughs> but the New Orleans Crawdads. Yeah, I they gotta go. Good names. Oh, they gotta absolutely. interesting yeah, names. Like New Orleans used to have some of the crazy, like so they were the Zephyrs for minor league for a while, and then they were like the baby cakes or something like that because it was like based off king cakes at Mardi Gras. What's the um, Nashville Triple uh, A team? Er, is that the team that they're trying to expand right now? The Nashville Stars. I think so. Yeah, they that's get the huge crowds. Happened. Yeah, well, Nashville's that's still not... a baseball town. We went there and like the we saw the Dollies play. Oh, excuse me. We saw the Dollies. Um, they played online. We saw them online that they played in person there. Um yeah. but they get crowds of like five to seven thousand, which is better than Oakland. Like it's amazing. Yeah. And so um Nashville's a good town. I like that. Nashville and New Orleans, I would be my two probably. Yeah, for sure. And I like you can't go wrong with those like southern metro- uh, metropolitan cities just Austin. because like people like to have a fun Austin would be awesome too. Austin's a massive we'll- market. We're gonna be there. We'll see. We'll scope it out for you guys. <laughs> check out all the sandlot fields and see what we can cook up yeah how good of a baseball market is this yeah and our only barometer will be how many people come to see our amateur baseball game <laughs> <laughs> apparently there's supposed to be a crowd i don't know yeah i'm, I'm a, yeah from the pictures i've i'm pretty excited there's gonna be like a lot of people yeah it's been progressively more and more because i feel the dreams there was a good bunch of people because mm-hmm. there was like there was a wedding there one day the day that we went and people just come to like tour. Yeah. So we were just playing. Um, so we thrive like, off all the extracurriculars that go on around yeah. the baseball. Yeah. So I'm excited. Um, yeah. All right. Back to back to some Yankees talk. Um, I think really we hit most of it. I know we talked about left field very minimally this episode. Uh, where do you think we're at for left field? I know you mentioned Brian Reynolds before. My theory is that Reynolds is still like the crown jewel. Like this is the guy that they want. He's the guy that like in an ideal world, he, they land him. Um, but I think that as the days go on, it's more likely that he's not going to be a Yankee by opening day. I think that eventually there is still a, a, a chance for him to become one, especially at the trade deadline. We can revisit that. But Jerickson uh, Profar seems to be like the main free agent that's left that the Yankees have looked like. I know Adam Duvall, signed with the Red Sox yep. and um, 
Tommy Pham, who I never saw as a fit for the Yankees, signed with the Mets today. So, it, like all signs, if you're looking at free agents, points to Profar being that guy. They've liked him for a long time. Cashman's liked him for a long time. He had a sneaky, solid season last year. Like, I think 11% better um, per OPS plus than the regular player. Um, and he is versatile, switch batter, can bat from both sides. He brings some speed and some just fun and excitement to the table. Um, it makes sense. And if that's the case, then you have to clear some space on the 40 man, which would get me pretty excited because that probably means an Aaron Hicks or someone along those lines is getting moved. And I think that we can all agree at this point that it's time for Hicks to part ways with the Yankees or vice versa, just because it seems like that, that relationship is kind of, uh, run its course to put it lightly. Yeah. Roster resource on fan graphs is listening to Yankees fans right now because uh, they have our shortstop as Oswald Peraza and our left fielder as Oswaldo Cabrera, who is not necessarily who we want in left field Oswaldo, although we love him. Um, but that puts uh, IKF and Higgy. Sorry. Higgy is always going to be on the bench. IKF and Hicks. <laughs> Uh, both on the bench. Interestingly, they have DJ on the bench. They have Glaber starting over him. We kn- we know that like DJ on the bench doesn't mean that DJ's on the bench. Yeah. Um, he might start out hurt. We'll see. Uh, like I would slot him in opening day third base. I was, I don't... was gonna say the same thing. Like if if DJ is fully healthy and he's looking good, like there's no reason that he should be a bench piece. Um, Donaldson on the other hand has not proven anything with the bat at this point. So I think that he needs to earn the trust to be out there every day. Um, whereas DJ, at least when he is healthy, he was one of the best players on the team last year up until that foot injury. So I, I doesn't make any sense for me to like bench him at this point, especially since he played pristine uh, defense at third as well. So it's not like he's shaky over there. He No, he held his own really well. Yeah. Um, I want to get into a bit of an exercise, but before I do, I'll give my thoughts on the yeah. left field situation. Um, I think based on the rumors, obviously I haven't heard any trades from the Pirates personally, so I don't know who they're asking for. But uh, based on the rumors, I think Reynolds is valued too high right now. Um, and I think that's smart business by the Pirates. They have so much control of him. They have him for this year, which is his, I think his third year of pre-arb on $9 yes, million. Yeah, and I don't think he even qualified for Super 2, interestingly enough. Um, that's surprising. Or is this his first year of real ARB that they bought out? I think it's they his first year out, of real ARB. They bought out two years, right? And bought then out two I, years? Yeah. So after at, at the end of 2023, he is contracted for two more years or one year? I think it's two more. I think two more. Yeah. So they have a lot of – basically what I'm trying to say, they have a lot of control over Reynolds. I think the Pirates are right to hedge their bets, say we're not trading him unless we get this big deal. And I think they can hold out on their laurels for when it comes to late July, there's going to be four or five teams that are in it who are like, we can win the world series and probably five more that are like, I think that we can guarantee a playoff spot with an all-star outfielder um, who would be willing to give that package away. And I think they're in their right mind. I think teams are in their right mind to not want to give up that much at at the beginning of the season um, and let it play out. I, I wouldn't mind the Yankees doing that per se, see where the, how the prospects develop, see what Oswaldo does. I can't I can't have Hicks be my left fielder. We'll talk about that in, in a little bit. I think Profar works. I wouldn't want to give him more than a one-year deal. Um, 
pro if we sign Profar and we trade for Reynolds, like I think that would be fine too. Um, Profar is an outstanding defensively in left field. He does offer versatility, but he hasn't done that in a few years, and we don't need that from him anymore. Yeah. Um, but he does grade out well with the bat. I mean, how many switch hitting left fielders can we have on one team? The Yankees are playing that game right now. If they sign Profar and they they keep Oswaldo and they keep Hicks. No, Oswaldo's not a left fielder, which I, I kind of yeah. want to get him out of that conversation anyway. That's why we want to sign one. He, so, was, he was bad there. Like, he, he was not yeah. a good left fielder. He was great at right field. He was fantastic over there. He played it seamlessly. He played all of the infield positions seamlessly, even first base. Mm-hmm. Left field is a different story altogether. You can tell he was just uncomfortable and taking weird routes, running into people. Like, nothing looked natural. Yeah. And listen, I'm not a professional athlete, but I grew up – I. I'm a trained outfielder and I played at Yankee stadium before and that is, it's huge. It's daunting (laughs) and it's huge. Um, As someone who's really comfortable, like my most, my position I'm most comfortable with is center field. I think I spoke about it last episode about how the reads are a bit truer. If you're adjusting to outfield life and one of your first venues that you're playing at is Yankee stadium who during the um, where during the day, they have a killer, uh, sun coming over left field. You might remember Johnny Damon always wearing like his flip up sunglasses. Yeah, the visor glasses. Yep. Yeah, because they that would really kill him. And then even at night, or those mid afternoon games where in the in the DS where he and Hicks collided, um, that was like an awkward sun angle. Like I was there. It was it was a weird time for a game at Yankee yeah. Stadium. Um, I think that's really underrated, and you you have to understand that even pro athletes can't adapt that well as much as we commanded from him so him being our 140 game left fielder I don't, I don't see that as ideal one thing about profars too is he has an elite strikeout percentage i think he's at like 14 or 15 percent something like that on last season which is like well above average i think the average strikeout rate was like 21 22 percent 23 something in that ballpark so he's at least six percent lower than that which i mean let's be real the yankees struck out a, a fuck ton Against the Astros, like, I think they had, what, 52 strikeouts or something like that in uh, the ALCS, which is just silly. So if you bring in one kind of bat like that that stabilizes everything a little bit, provides a little bit more protection for guys that are performing, like, you know, Judge and then Rizzo, and it it just balances things out a lot more. So you're not just getting a a feast or famine type of bat. That's been Hicks's hole, is that when he can't get it together – it's it's bad he can't make contact he he'll he's hitting really soft ground balls like not hitting the ball so then that on top of his walk rate being low where his walk rate used to be like his most valuable asset honestly aside from his elite level arm which is no longer elite level it's still good but it's not 106 yeah did you see what his stat cast numbers were for his arm last season though they were like freaky good i was really he was like 96th, I think 97th, 98th percentile for um like he was in deep red for baseball savant. Yeah. So like his arm is fully back at this point. I it's just a matter of like it's not enough because he's not making good routes to the ball. He's dropping balls in the outfield. So it like you can tell there's a lack of focus there. So it cancels out any good that you're getting out of his arm. If you only read Statcast and you only watched baseball in 2018 and 2019, the Yankees outfield of Judge. Hicks and Gallo must have been your like you must have been salivating over that <laughs> until you see the blues with K rate and stuff like that. <laughs> we we ignore those numbers. 
How many oh, Yankees yeah. did for a while? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I we'll we'll see where we get with left field. Um, I actually let me transition into this. So I want to yeah. go through our uh position player roster, um, and you know not too in depth analysis. I'm gonna give you a position, and we're gonna alternate. We're gonna say who we think is gonna play the most games at that position for us next year. So not like the majority, just whoever has like at that one position, whoever has the most appearances, the most, I'll say starts or innings, whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. We're not measuring this. <laughs> um, Let's start a catcher. Travi. Yep. Travi. Um, at first base, I'm going to say Rizzo. God willing. <laughs> That's an easy one. Yeah. Um, oh, second base is tough. I'm I'm thinking Volpe. I'm just gonna go out and say it. Really? Yeah. Hot take. Ah oh, no, I I'm 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 kind of with you. I'm just so intrigued with how they're gonna do it. Like I think. Yeah. I think second base is gonna be a bunch of like, thirty to sixty game options. It, it'll be very equally distributed if assuming things stay kind of pat with the roster as it is and Volpe comes up as well. Um, but in my mind, Torres is gone. I, I just don't see him sticking around. And I think that the Yankees at this point, like they want to give Volpe the nod as much as possible. And the only way to do that, look at what happened with Jeremy Pena last season is throwing him into the fire and saying like, it's your time. So I, I think it's going to end up being DJ like 70 games. Yeah. Volpe like 50. And then I probably Glaber. I don't think Glaber gets traded in the off season. Maybe. I don't know. That That's like my hunch. I think Volpe might fly around the infield too. Yeah, it's it's tough with Glaber. That that's the whole thing is it's holding up this entire situation right now because there is such a. Like, they stick to Glaber. He plays second base for 130 games. Plus. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he's if he's on the team, he's the starting second baseman. Like it's yeah. at the end of the day, like he'll get the most reps. But just in terms of salary and things like that, and just like the entire fit of the infield and how they're really pushing the youth movement. I just don't see it anymore. And I think that like DJ is going to get his reps, but at a different position. Yeah. Speaking of third base. DJ. I also think DJ. Yeah. How many? I think DJ gets like 80 at third. I'm going to go with like 95. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How do you think his, his arm will look at third? Hopefully he's healthy for the full year, but that's, that's a lot of time for, he hasn't done that scale at third base for us yet what makes me hopeful is he's never had any arm issues like it it doesn't seem like he has the obviously the best arm Um, lower body yeah it's all been lower body stuff which is obviously a concern on its own but he hasn't had like a trevor story problem where it's like he's bottom one or two percent of um like throwing velocity where you can see like there was clearly something wrong there um i think that DJ's just so smooth over there. Like he makes that quick little turn. You know what I mean? Like where he like digs his uh, throwing hand into the ground, turns around real quick, pivots and throws a ball across the diamond. I think he's just so accurate that he's not going to have the, like that problem. Unless maybe someone who's like Julio Rodriguez throwing, uh, running down the line on like a, a softly hit ball. Like that's when you might see a few issues in. It's like the top 99 percentile like sprinters versus his arm. But He's going to make everything routine look so easy. Just because, like, that's the type of player he is. I don't expect too much flashiness in terms of, like, lateral movements or anything like that. But he gets the job done, and that's, like, what you can ask from him. 
And ultimately, the bat is so much more important. Exactly. So he'll be solid enough. Like like Donaldson had a really good, like great defensive year. I think DJ's bat above Donaldson is more valuable than Donaldson's glove above DJ's at third. And their gloves are comparable last year. Yeah. Like if you look at it at the end of the day. So like I would take a healthy DJ with his bat any day over Donaldson at this point. Not to say that Donaldson can't bounce back, but it's also very unlikely with the swings that he was taking last season. Yeah. Shortstop. Peraza. Yeah. I think Peraza gets like 110 games. And another hot take is like, if Glaber's not uh, traded, IKF is. That's like where my mind goes. I think they almost have to for like the 40 man. There's such a log jam in the middle infield. And the thing is like beyond Volpe and Peraza, you still have guys that are in the infield, like Roderick Arias. That's like a few, like way down the line. But then you've got Trey Sweeney, who's like pretty close at this point. He's probably a few years away. Like they're going to have to start making decisions on their infielders. And I think this is the first year where they're going to really feel the pressure to do that. And uh, we'll get into the outfield stuff as well, because that all ties into it. But I think we're going to see some tough decisions and, guys that are younger starting to uh, make their waves yeah and on the 26 man right now um the bench is full and that's with two middle infielders that being ikf and dj listed on the bench mm-hmm. um so if volpe comes up one of them has to go and then if there's a different left field option reynolds pro far we're gonna have to get rid of either one of them or we're gonna have to get rid of hicks or uh Oswaldo somehow. Yeah. So um all right, right field. Judge. <laughs> I I pray to God. <laughs> <laughs> well the, what makes me very, very fucking hopeful is the fact that he played how many games in center field last year? He played yeah. how many games in right field last year and then he DH'd a little bit. And he's played 154 games and like yeah it was a contract year, but he did it the year before as well. And all of his injuries have been kind of freakish in the last, like he hasn't had an injury in three years now, essentially two and a half. Um, But the ones that he did have back in 2020, 2019, and even 2018 hit by pitch breaks his wrist sliding, like things that are not just soft tissue, which is what Stanton, for example, has been dealing with. Um, So at this point, I think his body is able to sustain playing in the outfield, like long-term. Me too. And I think he only plays like 120 in right field, 20 games at DH, mm-hmm. maybe rest, Pro- probably more. He'll, he'll probably play like 150, so maybe yeah. 130 games in right, mm-hmm. um, which leads us into center field. Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader, yeah. Probably like is, 150, honestly, in center. God another will. very, like, I, I think that, like, if he does put up 135 games, we could easily see like a three or four year extension for him. Yep. Because like, he's a perfect fit organizationally. He's a New York city kid. Um, His personality just fits the entire persona of like being a Yankee. Um, He comes from a winning culture already with St. Louis. Like it just seems like he is the perfect guy to fill in. And like, he hasn't actually hit his ceiling yet, which is really exciting because he's never played, I think 115 plus games like consistently throughout his career. So if he can just prove that he can stay healthy, the plantar fasciitis isn't an issue, he's going to make the Yankees make a lot of very difficult decisions because I do see them see him forcing their hand, and that will like play into the whole Dominguez situation and Elijah Dunham, and um, who is well 
Isavon Florial has he's out of options. So another guy that's going to have an immediate impact because of that. Yeah. Or he's going to be impacted immediately at least. Yeah, I think this is the one space where the Yankees can spin themselves into wanting into pushing for Reynolds because you look at the Yankees center field options, backup yeah. center field options. Florial out of options, proven he can't really hit well at a major league level right now. Not for a win now team. Judge, who you just gave nine year contract to at thirty years old, mm-hmm. um, who can do it. We know he can do it. Do you want to do that to him? No. Hicks or Dominguez, Spencer Jones. I don't think they uh, so, project as center fielders. So I think that's where you can go. Okay, we get Reynolds if yeah. Bader doesn't play 162, which he hasn't proven that he can yet. I, I think he could. That, like, our backup center fielder is covered by, like, a, an MLB center fielder. Yeah. So I think it's, like, worth extending Bader alone for the sake of having him in the playoffs and having him down the, yep. the push, you know, because he has proven already that he's fantastic out there. And that does make left field kind of this space where you can – be a little luxurious with the way that you want to go about it. I think that's why Reynolds at this point is viable. And a lot of Yankees fans need to kind of accept the fact that Dominguez might not be the answer there anymore because you have another guy right behind him, Spencer Jones, who is bumping on his door and he's coming up, I think quicker than anyone anticipated him to. And they would both have to play left field because they're not going to be center fielders at the MLB level. And Aaron Judge is playing right field for nine years, and Giancarlo Stanton is our DH for another seven. Mm-hmm. And which one is younger? Which one is more lucrative looking to other teams? That would be Dominguez. Dominguez. And, I mean, I showed you this um, a few days ago, but, I mean, granted, uh, the pandemic season and all that in the lockout kind of played an impact. So, like, you can you have to take it with, like, a bit of a grain of salt. But Juan Soto came up about the same age, same age as Dominguez, was drafted at 16 years old, played single A, then double A, and then went straight into the majors. And now you have Dominguez at the same age, 18, 19 years old. That's when uh, Soto got popped up into the majors is at 19. So because of COVID and all that, it complicates things a little bit. But his clock is ticking, like whether we like it or not. And obviously we hope that he's going to be everything that everyone hoped for. But like you can't expect him to be the next Mike Trout and all that. That's just not realistic. If he turns into what Reynolds is right now, every Yankees fan will be ecstatic. But if a lot of people, for whatever reason, are upset if like he's even brought up in trade talks for uh, Reynolds, who's a proven MLB super, not a superstar, but he's an all-star at this point, who I think, in my opinion, has the like the ceiling to become one, given the right protection in the lineup. So there's a lot of things and factors that go into it that I think we just have to be able to like willing to accept and be open-minded about because I'm not saying that Dominguez should be traded necessarily, but I think out of all the like young top prospects, he's easily the most viable and he makes the most sense to be moved. And he's the only one that can go that doesn't murder our farm mm-hmm. for a big talent. Because we've got outfield depth. Yep, exactly. And we have a lack of need except for the most interesting one, uh, of this scenario that I'm doing right now, left field, who do you think? I'm going to go safe and say Profar. Just, I think that he, I think he ends up get, becoming a Yankee because the steam has picked up like within the net, like last day or so. 
Um, and it just seems like once a name is correlated with Yankees and free agency this season, like the only one that I think they missed on was Ben Intendi. You know what I mean? Like they, I think he's the only name that they missed on because his years that he wanted was so high five years, 75 million. Yeah, I'm not mad they about didn't that. Want to go to that fifth year, but yeah. they didn't miss on um, Judge and they didn't miss on Rodon. Those were the two targets they had in free agency that they wanted. I think they do ultimately want Profar just because they've liked him for a long time and they're not necessarily like thrilled that he's the guy, but it, it's like a pretty solid consolation because it is a, a take up from an Aaron Hicks and they've liked him for a long time. And if they're interested in their engaged with him at this point, I think that they get a deal done within the next week or so. How many games roughly? <laughs> Maybe like a hundred, if that. I so, think there's gonna be like a lot of weird splitting. <laughs> so my thinking is like I think so. My answer, I'm I'm gonna. It's not a cop out. It's a legit option. I'm gonna say Oswaldo Cabrera. I don't think anyone plays more than fifty games in left field. Okay, you see, that's like the other option I was thinking. Yeah, I think it's gonna be like forty for Oswaldo, thirty-five to. 50 for Hicks um, because he'll probably get traded because he also yeah. I, I think he'll get traded midseason because the Yankees will have him get the 10 and 5 rights because mm-hmm. I think I have to see when he hit I think he hits that before the trade deadline and which yeah. he would have a full no trade clause but that would just be um, he would you know, accept a trade if he's not playing that. yeah yeah. I mean, he came out to the media. He, he'll accept a trade, you know, but there's, 30 um, other, there's 29 other teams that I'd be willing to help win. Yeah, I think Giancarlo picks up 40 games between, you know, Fenway, Houston, um, you know, Philly, like some of the new National League ballparks we're going to be playing in a bit more. Um, and then maybe like a trade trade deadline piece. Brian Reynolds might end up with 50 games if he's a deadline piece. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think no one plays I'll, – I'll, I'll say no one plays over 60. I think there mm-hmm. could be a few that play around 50. I will say one of the other reasons I like Reynolds is because it, same reason I like Glaber too, is he stays healthy. He's yep. not been an injured player and like he's played four seasons in the league so far and he has an OPS over 800 in those four seasons. So like, on a team that year. doesn't need him to yeah. play he, 160 he, games because they're not trying to be competitive. Exactly. Or they, and, they haven't been. Yeah. And well, that's another reason too. Like, I think the best case scenario with the infield is if you move not only Glaber, but also like an IKF. So that way you have um, Cabrera as like your true utility bench piece. Yep. You know, and then that way you have an ability to not just uh, bring in Reynolds, but you can sign Profar as well and have him be another Swiss army knife. So there are different ways to go about it that still end with the Yankees, not only staying under the luxury tax, but also getting better. And that's the exciting thing about it. We just have to, like, I think we're going to see moves within the coming weeks. It just feels like that lull is starting to come to a head. Um, But at the same time, we just need a little bit more patience because, like, the whole doom and gloom thing that Yankees fans have been going through, it's like cycles of grief and stuff. I just think it's a little too early to pass that judgment because it at the end of the day, it still is what we've got one more week of uh, January left. And then it starts to get into go time. So I think we need to just kind of let things play out right now. Last thing, because I'm intrigued by it on my screen. 
Uh, the Yankees have four position players listed in the Fangraphs top 100. Who do you think they are? Oh, for MLB? Yeah, MLB players top Not 100. Not pipeline or anything. Okay, um, definitely Judge, obviously. Judge, where do you think he ranks? <laughs> Two. He's number one. Hell yeah. There here. Big red, bold letters. I like it. Fangraphs. Before Otani? Uh, I assume so. Unless Otani's okay. number zero, <laughs> which he might, he might be. I don't know. Gets a special rule for him. If anyone's uh, number zero, it's Otani. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, so you've got Judge Rizzo, I'd assume, is on there. Rizzo is next. He's ranked 56th. Okay. Um, Cole? Uh, position players only. So oh, they have okay. they have Cole at four and Rodon at six. There we go. Yeah, Stan. Stan is not in it. Wow. Okay. Um. DJ. DJ is ninety fifth. So yeah, you're missing the one between DJ and Rizzo. I I feel like I'm missing someone so like brutally obvious. Well, like, I, I think it's Glaber. interesting. We talked. It's Glaber. Yeah. It's, like that's the only one that makes sense. Sixty sixth. That's pretty high. <laughs> that's really high. I think it's mainly like I said. Like so much of it comes down to the amount of games he plays. He's able to, like, we have to remember that he put up two really bad seasons yeah. in 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. So I can't just say he's guaranteed to give you a 750 OPS, but assuming he's in the right headspace, he can give you at least a 750 OPS. Yeah, and he and Judge are the only two that are projected to give 600 at-bats in the season, uh, mm-hmm. with the next being Bader at 560. So that that's part of it, The the scale... You know, he's and, a war accumulator, a games accumulator, RBI. Um and he makes sense. He's been he's been a mainstay in our lineup since early twenty eighteen. Yeah. Oh, I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh Ben Rortvit gets an actual chance? No. <laughs> <laughs> um the guy like if he's healthy. Well, what do you mean an actual chance? Like in the spring he's gonna play a ton. Yeah, so like I think that there's a chance oh, that another person that could potentially be moved, and I don't know if this is the case, but Higgy, Higgy's got so a little sad. bit of trade value. You're right, but it would make me so sad. <laughs> well, the the thing is, I think Higgy's biggest value is as like an emotional support catcher on the yeah. Yankees. You know, I mean, he's great defensively. That undermines his ability. Like pitchers like him, but part of the reason that he's an emotional support catcher is because of their rapport with him. Um, he's a calming factor to yeah. like throw to any uh, battery. Yeah. So um, I don't know, but liking Higgy as a person and as a professional, I mean, if Rortvet is just as good defensively as people say he is, that could just be the better option. But the fact that you have Trevino who can give you 120 starts at catcher, I don't know. I don't. I don't see Rortvet as a need. I would rather a stable, comfortable piece for these pitchers than a new defensive guru again. True. I just see like because uh, Trevi, you know, he kind of came out of nowhere with his offense. It was it almost felt like lightning in a bottle, but also it's like he tapped into something that just wasn't there before, or that someone kind of showed him was there. He just needed to find it the entire time. I feel like they're going to try to do the same thing with Rortvet too, because he is a lefty batter, and he the dude's fucking jacked <laughs> yeah so 
I don't know. I just, I see them trying to, you know, get him to like compel him into being like a guy that swings for right field consistently. So that way he can play like 60 to a hundred games and still get 10 pops, you know? We need Higgy to not hit nine homers in the spring. So that way he actually has some save for the season, but also hit a few to remind Ben Mortbet, who's boss, like, you know, yeah. but he can't, he can't hit, he can't be our best spring training hitter again, because that didn't work out for hope for him. Well, last time. Hit uh, won the first day of uh, spring training, won the middle day and then won the last day. And I'll be yeah. happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, spring training legends include a, uh, Kyle Higashioka and Greg Bird in recent history. <laughs> um, so those went down well. Um, I got to see uh, Bubba Crosby back in the 04 spring training. Yeah. Which was great. Because that was the A Rod's first uh, year, too. I'm excited for spring. I'm excited to watch the first three games and then remember that I don't really care that much. And then, <laughs> and then well, yeah, see, what, once we get like bad. two, three weeks in, whoever's still on the roster, I'll be intrigued. That's the thing is I'm I'm curious to see like some of these moves might come during uh spring training because like uh in recent memory Luke Voigt got traded during spring training. Uh Sean Manaya had that whole thing where he got traded from the A's to the Padres during the same uh, right before their game they played against each other. Yeah. Um, well that was the lockout and... year, remember? Like, yeah. coming out of it. Yeah. So, I don't know. What I so... liked what they did and they couldn't do this year because of planning, but the last real spring training with a full off season of planning um, was 2020 or oh, it wasn't even a full, it was like three weeks, but they were doing like a lot of mic'd up sessions. Yeah. Um, And I really love that. I hope that comes back because spring training is so boring otherwise, but like mm-hmm. guys fully during the game, I understand it's a bit awkward on like Sunday night baseball wanting to do it. um, And some of what they say isn't that, you know, important or relevant to the game, but in spring training when they can like relax and it's, you know, pro contract guys who aren't competing. I think it's fun having like Pete Alonzo, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, you know, Harrison Bader, like do mic'd up sessions. Rizzo versus Freeman's always like a great, great yeah. little matchup. But my, uh, my girlfriend loves Rizzo because he like, she says that he's so obviously just has like has ADHD, but is like <laughs> the best about it. Like just the way that he, he fidgets and like, and talks and stuff. Um, because she also has ADHD, so she like uh, she relates a lot to him and how he like experiences the game of baseball and you know make, keeps himself busy basically and entertained. Fan and focus, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all I got on my list. Anything you want to get off your chest before we break? We we covered a lot today. Um, I think the one last thing that we didn't talk about, um, that we can just blaze by real quick is relieving uh relievers i think they are due for one more arm um andrew chafin feels like a really nice fit but ha- like who knows how expensive he's going to be uh that's another thing if they sign another free agent arm i think they're going to have to make another trade just to clear that uh roster spot and then also clear salary as well so hopefully that comes out soon as well um unless they do make it the thing with the yankees is one place that i feel like we can both put some trust in them is with the bullpen just their ability to find arms for dirt cheap in like triple a or like off waivers or something then turn them into gold so i'm not concerned about that personally but i would like to see them add one more lefty because they did lose lefty yeah and wandy isn't even like that lefty lefty i mean the wandy's really good so you'll have them playing against lefties 
Yeah, I trust him more against righties, honestly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's more reverse splits, which I think Canely is similar, right? Isn't Canely yeah. like really good against lefties? Because mm-hmm, his changeup is disgusting. Like it's probably so the it's, best it's, game. Is Canely our lefty specialist and Wandy our righty specialist, and the rest of them are like straight up? As of right now, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we love modern baseball. Who needs a Mike Myers lefty specialist sub reader when you've got yeah. Tommy Canely? That, that was the one thing when we were going over Miami that intrigued yeah. me about Trevor Rogers. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd just be different, like just a different arm angle, you know, like yeah, a lefty from the National League that just hasn't had the exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, not the not quite the same as his twin brother, who what is Tyler Rogers the submariner? Ye- or is that Trevor? Trevor? Right? No, Trevor it's- Rogers, and then Taylor Rogers is the lefty. Taylor Rogers, aren't they both lefties? No, Trevor is a righty submariner. Hold on, let's figure this out. <laughs> I want to say Taylor. Oh is... yeah, Trevor Rogers is the righty submariner. Yeah, and then Taylor is like a three quarter lefty. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, Trevor is a three quarter lefty. Yeah, and then Tyler is the. That's interesting that he's a righty. Yeah. Right. <laughs> His stuff is so disgusting. Yeah. Um, another guy that we talked about like a week ago just because I got to meet him briefly is Jose Cuas mm-hmm. from the Kansas city Royals. I met at Adovino's camp and dude, he's awesome. Like if anyone has never heard the name Jose Cuas before pitcher for the Royals, it's about 27, 28 years old, New York kid had his first full season last year. Like look him up. He's like devastating with his um, arm slot. Throws from like a little bit of a sidearm 95, 96 from the right side with a, slider that moves probably 30 32 inches horizontal yeah i haven't seen a pitch yet oh you know you know he probably pitched with he might have pitched with um no he's he's younger with patansis he went to grand street but missed them yeah 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 Yeah. interesting i wonder because uh charlie who you also saw charlie's also in the royals work um, so yeah, maybe, a, maybe the Yankees pick up Charlie. No, I don't think he's pro ready yet, but that would be fun. Just have like, him, uh, what, for Tampa Tarpons or something like that? Yeah. Shout out Chuck. <laughs> shout out Chuck. Shout out Jose. Yeah. I'm excited to have Canley back. That's that's he's the so big cool. one. Right now, the only unsigned free agents that were on the Yankees last year are four relievers. It's Chapman, Britton, uh, Chad Green. And who was the fourth one? He was on the 40. Jacob Barnes. Mm. So they're still out there. Chad Green, I, I'd be intrigued about, but I know there's the injury, obviously. Would you take Britton back on like a, a $2 million deal? $2 million, yes. Yes. That's like, because he is coming off that injury. Like he had two, I think he came back too fast last year, got injured again. Um, But when he is healthy, it, the thing is it takes him forever to actually find his command in his arm slot. Yeah. And once he does, he's disgusting. Um, if he's willing to take something that low, because I think he was on like a 13 million year AAV deal before, which is just way too much for him nowadays. I would even take him on a three, four year, three, four million, and then like That's 60 awesome. day, um, give him a minor league assignment to find it. Yeah. Because his change up to lefties is that like, that can be the, the, the saw. His two seamer is like a, a goddamn bowling ball. Yeah. It's crazy. So if he's able to command this stuff even remotely, like that's awesome. Um, yeah. 
it sounds like the Mets are interested, so I think that he probably does end up in New York City. It's just a matter of which team. Probably. Because they'll give him like six, five or six. Yeah. No problem. And he's yeah. been here a while. The one thing that the Yankees like Britain, I know he's been away from the team for a while, but he was a player rep and he was uh, mm-hmm. high up in the union and stuff. Like he's very respected. Um, he was really good with like teaching some of the young guys when he came over as a reliever. And also being like a top like playoff level like closer for the Orioles and then coming to the Yankees to not be the closer. Um up against like a bad guy, like someone who I wouldn't blame if he was angry about not pitching over. Yeah. Um, like that, that takes a lot of professionalism and respect. So I think he could, uh, he would humble himself, take lower money to stay, but it hasn't happened had, yet. He also had a 0.54 year, a one year, <laughs> which is just like disgusting. Yeah. 2015. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Legendary. He was like top three in Cy Young that year, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, like, if a closer is ever going to win it, I think there have been a few. That um, was the year. Because he wasn't just closing. It was, like, high leverage spots throughout the year. And the yeah. Orioles, like, weren't, you know, they were in the Dodgers. They were, like, a mid-90s win team to get the East. Like, the different, like, he probably had, like, a five-war, like, a four-war as a reliever. Yeah. Who did we give up to, for him that offseason for 2018? Or was it was in the middle of the season. It was a trade deadline. You traded for him. Yeah. Because I remember I was in Tokyo and, yeah. and they picked him up. And they were, I think that's the year that they were looking at Machado potentially for a trade deadline. And he ended up with the Dodgers. Dylan Tate, Cody Carroll, and Josh Rogers. Dylan Tate's good too. Yep. So, I mean, that trade worked out beautifully for the Yankees overall. Wow. Yeah. Dylan Tate and Trenton Thunder uniform. I just pulled up 2018. <laughs> Funky. Yeah. All right. I think that's everything from us, though. Yeah. Um, so thanks for tuning in. I know it's been a bit a bit slow. This is probably two weeks from when you, when you last heard us. Um, but we'll be back soon. We got some fun stuff for you coming up leading into the season. We're going to do some positional and some team previews. We might have some interesting special guests uh, that are that are in our pocket right now. So uh, you'll be hearing those soon. Make sure to share with your friends, especially if you hear some uh, some new people. We're going to get some new audiences, hopefully, that are intrigued. Um, and, yeah, let's go Yankees, and let's, let's hope that they fill in some of these holes. Go Yanks. See ya.